All right. Well, it is good for us to be in worship here this morning. Uh, if you're newer with us, my name is Brian. <laughs> and if you're not newer with us, my name is Brian. Uh, as I've gotten many times over the last couple of weeks, where have you been this past month? And uh, some of you may know, uh, I've been uh, at the First Christian Church in Lovington uh, in the uh, situation where their uh, pastor, Al Rennert, has recently retired, actually a gentleman that comes out of our church, uh, where I've had the opportunity to preach there in this partnership that we are forming with them through our Disciple Heritage Fellowship Network. And um, it's uh, really, today is an exciting day uh, after being there live for the last month preaching. Today is the first day that they will experiment with us streaming via video uh, our weekend preaching portion uh, to their venue there, their First Christian Church in Lovington. And so uh, for the first time, I'm pleased to say hello to the West Auditorium, greetings to the East Auditorium, and good morning to our friends down in Lovington. So kind of a cool deal. Um, and uh, if you're unfamiliar with kind of the, the layout, uh, Lovington is about 25 miles southeast of, of, of where we're at right here at First Christian Church, Decatur, their church there. You could say Mount Zion is pretty much right in the middle uh, of First Christian Church Decatur and First Christian Church Lovington. And uh, our leadership team has been in conversation with their leadership team about what the future looks like, and so we're still working that out. Um, but pretty exciting, actually. The, both churches are 184 years old this year, as they were both founded by the same Joseph Hostetler in 1834. So kind of cool how the story is coming full circle, and we'll, I'm sure, uh, have more to experience and discover in that in the days ahead. So with that today, lose this for now. I think you all got that point. Um, and uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the table of contents. Turn in your Bible to the table of contents, and if you use a, an app, there's, you know, just when you choose all the Bibles, just all the, just seeing the books in, in the order there, starting from the beginning. In our pew Bible here, both in the East and West Auditorium, the table of contents, it's actually after like the Roman numerals. It doesn't even have a page number. It's kind of weird, hard to find. It actually says at the, at the top, it says in the front, and then it says uh, a guide to the holy books of the Bible. Uh, you're Bible there in Lovington is uh, way more obvious. It's actually the first page, which makes sense uh, there for your all's Bibles there in your pew racks. And uh, we'll come back to why we're looking at the table of contents in just a few moments. But as you may have picked up from the video that preceded me uh, coming up here, we're going to be looking at some, you could say, very popular, most quoted uh, verses and passages of the Bible in this series quotables. Uh, they are the most Googled. They're the most often you'll find framed or imprinted or screen printed on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, or maybe it's a little screensaver on your computer or the wallpaper on your phone. These are the verses. These are the, the most popular ones that we find in our day. And, and that's a good thing to have God's word, you know, imprinted all around us and hopefully moves from just being imprinted on physical spaces to uh, being imprinted, of course, on our hearts and our minds in the living of our lives. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, you could have said probably would have been the most quotable uh, passage of the people of Bible times. And it says it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so that's, that's what we're to be about. And these commandments that I give you today are to be 
impress or to be on your hearts. And then impress them, verse seven, them on your children. And so talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Basically, surround yourself with God's word. And then here it is, verse eight. This is how it applies to us. Tie them visibly as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so it would have been, you could say, essentially the cultural relevant uh, versions of our coffee mugs, our t-shirts, our bumper, bumper stickers uh, that they would have used in Bible times, door frames and gates and things like that. And so over the next several weeks, you could say what we want to do with these verses that, we're, that are very popular around us and that are the most well-known is we want to turn up the dial on them, you could say, just a little bit, to take a specific deep dive look to enrich and deepen and strengthen those verses and passages that are already within our realm of understanding, that are already stored up in our hearts because we're familiar with them. And, and really, you could say, fertilize that which is planted in our hearts. As it says in Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, we want to fertilize the word of God that's been planted in our hearts. And so we're going to be looking at uh, some verses that many of you know well. And if you're newer to church, well, then I'll introduce you to some of the passages that are really popular in, in those who uh, go to church or follow Jesus. Uh, next week, we're going to look specifically at Psalm 23, uh, where it's pretty much impossible to walk into a funeral where you haven't heard Psalm 23. So we'll take a specific look at that. Um, Arguably the most well-known passage of the Bible the following week, John 3.16. You can find that at you know, secular ball games where uh, that verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so this is a verse that is understood to sum up the Christian faith, and we'll take a deeper dive at that. Or there's, here's a favorite, like every, um, you know, these graduation party things, when you ask kids their favorite verse, this was often one I'd get. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or who Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, you kind of want to say, like, seriously, like, all things? Anything? Like, I can do everything? Like, if I'm, you know, genetically four foot, ten inches tall, can I slam dunk a basketball on a ten foot rim through Christ who gives me strength? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see what that means, all right? And then we're going to wrap up the series with 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the, the love chapter in the Bible. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy it. And on and on it goes at pretty much every wedding that you've ever been at. Um, but we'll take another look at it. Is this really a marriage passage? And so we're excited to dive into some of these well-known verses and passages to get underneath what uh, it's really all about, uh, maybe at a deeper level than we catch maybe on a framed piece of art. And so for today, the verse we're going to look at today, we're going to look at one verse in the Bible that arguably, depending on which Bible website you consult, arguably the number one Bible verse of our day. The, the number one quoted, the number one imprinted, the number one Bible verse uh, you know, that we find in our homes. And I'll admit, mine included, it's right over my kids' backpacks before they go off to school during the school year. And that is this verse that many of you know, and that is Jeremiah 29 11. See, I knew it. I knew you all know it. Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. <clears throat> okay, if you know it, say it. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Let's, let's read that out loud together, both here, East Auditorium and Lovington. We want to know you're down there 25 minute, minutes southeast of us. Okay, all together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That was pretty good. I'm not going to do that. Oh, you can do better than that. That was really good. So we're just going to go with that. That was awesome. All right. So it's not hard to see upon reading that verse why that would be such a popular verse. I mean, who among us would not want that statement to be true in our lives? And so we're going to take a deeper look at that. And to set a stage for, you could say, the deeper look at that verse, I want to set the stage for really every verse and every passage we're going to look at throughout this whole series. And that what we're trying to get after with these quotables, these popular verses, is this umbrella understanding that when we study God's word, not just you know this verse or a particular passage, or frankly, when we're looking at an entire book, and to be honest, the whole Bible, that there's one word we wanna make sure that we're getting after that we wanna look at when we're gonna understand God's word, and that is the word context. Context, that if we really wanna understand God's word at its best, then we're gonna to wanna to understand its context. In that, Absolutely, God's word is 100% alive and active in our lives today, yet we understand it originated as a word from God for a specific people, in a specific place, in a specific time, facing a specific situation. That's the context which makes sense. We want to know what the context that surrounds anything. We know whether you read something in the paper or maybe like an email, for example. And maybe we'll illustrate it this way. So let's, let's pretend, let's imagine that you were to go into your phone, your little email application there, and pull up like, a, like an archived email. In fact, just to, just to have some fun this morning, those of you who do have a phone with you that ha- that's smart enough to have email on it, go ahead and pull it out. We're going to have crowd participation. Everyone get your phone in church. It's okay, I promise. And if you don't have one, Consider yourself lucky. You really don't need email on your phone. It's better off. All right. So go in your email application. And this, I, I realize I risk losing everyone at this point because like, you're going to start looking at your email. But go past the new ones and just start scrolling back as far back as you can possibly get with your, your, your little finger there. And I want you to just randomly select an email. Randomly select. Just click on an email. Um, maybe a work email uh, from however long ago. Now let's pretend that you took that email and you forwarded that email to me. Now, let's just pretend there. I don't, I don't want all your emails sent into my way. If you think that would be cute and funny, fine. Uh, you can find me at W-A-Y-N-E <laughs> at firstdecator.org. Okay. And so as you... As you pretend to send the email or actually send it to, you know, again, my email, Wayne at firstdecator.org, if I were to take my email and open up that email that you forwarded to me, um, let's say that that particular email was an email that you received or say you sent to your boss, your supervisor, regarding uh, maybe work at ADM or something. And back in 2015, there was this project where there was a, an area of, of troubleshooting involved and your supervisor wanted to know what was going on and you responded and told him what was going on and had a question about it. And you forwarded that specific email to me and I opened it up and you said, hey, Brian, what does that mean to you? I, I don't know. It, I'm not sure what it means to me, you know, because it's in a specific context. It would be completely out of context because obviously that email is to a specific person in a specific place for a specific time and a very specific situation. And now that's really, again, as far as context is concerned, I mean, that's really what? 
three years ago, you know, in a, 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 our hypothetical. Uh, it's in the same city. We're speaking the same language, pretty much the same culture. And yet I still need some help to understand the context of what's being written. Now overlay that principle on God's word on something that was written 2,000 or more years ago to an entirely different culture who speaks an entirely different language, uh, who certainly is facing different situations, challenges, and opportunities and circumstances. And so how much more do we need to understand the context to more fully understand God's word for us today? And so that's what we're after. That's what we're after in this series. And frankly, every passage that we ever preach uh, here is that we're going to get after what is the context for their day so that we can best understand it for our day. And so that's what we're going to do for Jeremiah 29.11. We're going to dig into the context. So with that, follow with me in the table of contents. And as I got a little feedback on um, what we did last night, uh, some said, that was helpful, but if I didn't have the table of contents open, I was lost. So I would, I would really encourage you to flip open a Bible and take a look to help follow along with really this historical biblical context that leads us up to Jeremiah 29.11, okay? So we're just gonna follow literally book by book to go through the history of uh, God's people in the Old Testament. And I'm gonna move pretty quick here just to kind of get the gist. But essentially, you have the whole historical context starting in Genesis 1 where God creates everything. You know, he creates time, space, planets, people. Then two chapters later, Genesis 3, we see those first people, Adam and Eve, they sin. They, they uh, uh, brought in brokenness and evil into the human experience in which we've been dealing with, you could say, ever since. Yet the good news is, is that God has been working to restore that original goodness he created ever since. And so God's restoration, we see, really begins in Genesis chapter 12 at around 2000 BC in a man named Abraham. And God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. And in due time, I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants. And so Abraham has his son Isaac. Isaac has his son Jacob, which would later be named Israel. Jacob would be named Israel, which we get the people of Israel. Israel is God's people of the Old Testament. And so then those people, they end up in slavery in Egypt. And then in 1500 BC, give or take, uh, we encounter uh, Moses, who is, now we're in the book of Exodus. If you're following along, I closed mine up. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, we're in the book of Exodus where uh, Moses is going to let my people go, and he does, and then they wander in the wilderness, and then we get to the sixth book of the Bible, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's kind of all in that mix. Those aren't part of the timeline, that's just part of the fabric of that story. So then timeline continues in Joshua, where Joshua takes these people out of the wilderness into the land promised to them by God, the promised land, which is named Israel. In that land, they are led by... Judges. That's our next book. And the judges, they're not like a judge we think of today. It was kind of this strange mix of military, political, and religious leadership, kind of depending on, on which judge we're looking at. Uh, the book of Ruth took place during the time of Judges. The story continues in First and Second Samuel, and that's where we move from judges to Israel being ruled by kings. And so we have uh, around 1000 BC now, we have King Saul, King David, and then King Solomon in the stories of First and Second Samuel. Then you see you have First and Second Kings, and this is uh, a series of, just to sum it up, 39 different kings who lead um, in basically Israel into a civil war and they're split. You got Israel now named at the north and Judah to the south. And you got 39 mostly bad kings, a few good ones, but it's a bad situation. And then uh, some more history there. And then you see it says uh, the wisdom 
uh, Psalms, like Job, Job, wow, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. That's not part of the timeline per se. And then you see Israel's prophets, Isaiah all the way to Malachi. And what we see here is really the commentary of what's happening in the mix of that history of kings that's recapped in Chronicles, of frankly just how bad things had gotten for people turning their back on God, turning uh, their, their back on, on his ways, and these prophets as God's messengers bringing these messages to the people saying, hey, turn around, turn, your, your, turn yourself back toward God and his ways. And so in that reality, in the midst of bad kings and people making bad choices, turning their back on God, we have Jeremiah. And more specifically, we have Jeremiah 29, 11, where Israel has already been wiped out by the Assyrians and Judah, who Jeremiah is speaking specifically to of the South, uh, he says to them, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And he is saying this to them when they are on the brink of exile to Judah. Because of their rebellion against God, God is getting ready to exile them, excuse me, from Judah to Babylon. And so that was going to be the consequence to which we see this verse. And we say, man, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. And we might think, man, this is great. Does this mean no exile? Does this mean they get to not face that leaving of their home country, having to go to Babylon? Well, not exactly. In that Jeremiah 29, 11 is actually a verse specifically for the time in which they would experience the consequence of being 70 years exiled to Babylon from their home in Judah. And so that's what they would face. And we might think, okay, all right, so they, they, have, to, they have to move, okay? They're getting transferred, all right? You know, um, is that really that big of a deal? Is it the end of the world? Well, it was the end of the world as they knew it, and I feel fine. No, they didn't feel fine. You know that song? End of the world as we know it. Yeah. No, they didn't feel fine. In fact, no one felt fine because this, this was no, you know, transfer to Arizona. This was a bad and horrific hard time for the people of God. We see this as Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah. He also wrote the book Lamentations, which you see there, which is a commentary on the experience, on the horrific realities that they would face um, in the Babylonian exile, as well as those left behind. And so just to get some context of what this exile felt like, Lamentations 1, Jeremiah writes, how deserted lies the city, talking about their home in Jerusalem, once so full of people, bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks, Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. She herself groans and turns away. Lamentations 4 goes on, says that the children beg for bread says this, that those killed by the sword, things are so bad that those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. And so this exile, this is an awful, horrific, unspeakable situation for the people of God. And furthermore, the situation is not, this is like a week. This is 70 years 70 years, and we might blow by that like in a historical timeline, like if you start going from Genesis 1 all the way through, you're like, well, 70 years, that's a blip on the screen, which may be, but it's not a blip on the screen if it's your 70 years. If it's your 70 years, I mean, think about 70 years for us, if it's the year 2018, 70 years is 1948 was 70 years ago. I mean, that's just on the other side of uh, World War II, um, 
I know you Cub fans had your day here recently, but for those of us from Cleveland, that was the last time the Cleveland Indians won a World Series, 1948. Uh, I mean, most of us weren't even alive then, and if we were, you would only have been a child. And so make no mistake, 70 years is a very long time. And so it's in the midst of this horrible, very long-lasting situation that we see Jeremiah writing this word to the people of God, Jeremiah 29, 11, to which essentially is a message from God saying that in the midst of this 70 years, God says to his people that when you feel like this is gonna last forever, when you feel like the oppression is too much, when all of this feels too much to bear, when you are on your worst moment of your worst day in the worst year of the 70 years you're gonna face, when you are in the middle of this very, very long season of the worst, take heart. Have faith, Jeremiah 29, 11. For in the midst of that, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they are plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so what does that look like in the midst of that 70 years? And that's the encouragement. That's what, that's what we're gonna look at. And that's what, you know, part of that future is gonna include that Babylonian captivity. But in the midst of Babylon, Take Jeremiah 29, 11, just like we do today. Put it on your doorposts, put it on your gates, put it on a donkey cart bumper sticker, whatever they would have had back then, so that they will see it, know it, own it, specifically and precisely when they're in Babylon. And so that is the power of the context of where we find Jeremiah 29, 11, that the power of that verse is that, ironically, is when things are at their worst, that we understand Jeremiah 29, 11 at its best. The context of Jeremiah 29, 11 is that when things are at their worst is when we can understand and embrace that passage at its best. And so with that larger historical biblical context in view, let's zoom in a little closer to the context surrounding that specific verse in Jeremiah chapter 29. And so go ahead and turn forward in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. And we're going to pick up the specific context here and wrap up here in verse uh, 4 through 14. <clears throat> Still hear some pages turning. Got it? I put a bookmark in mine. I don't know why it's so hard for you guys to find that. Now, I obviously knew where we were going. Okay, Jeremiah 29, 11 excuse me, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse four. It says this, and what we have here is a letter being sent to those who survived the exile. These are those who are in Babylon. And we have this letter, and it starts off this way. To those in, in Babylon, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Colon. Okay, then we get into the letter. Now, I'm gonna stop there because this seems like a formality, you know, salutation, dear so-and-so from God. But this is actually way more important here because what we see here in this very first line is not only who this message is from, but who is this message from? What is the nature of this person? And here it is. This message is from the Lord Almighty. This message for you is from the God of Israel. And why does this matter? Well, because we see here right at the onset, God is still God. 
God is still God. God is still sovereign over all of it. He's saying on the way to Babylon and in the midst of Babylon, even on the worst of the worst, God is still God. God's still on the throne. God is still sovereign over all. And so that's where we start. And frankly, that's where we have to start. That for us, when it comes to our worst day in the midst of a series of worst days, when it's your worst day on the job, when it's the worst day because you've lost your job, when it's the worst day because you can't find one, Maybe it's the worst day of your marriage or it's the worst day on the other side of a broken marriage. Uh, On your worst day of being single and figuring that out. On your worst day of school. On your worst day of being out of school this summer. On your worst day of facing illness. On your worst day of dealing with a loss. On your worst day of dealing with loneliness. On your worst day of depression. In a series of many worst days. We start with every time we've got to start. God is still God. And who is our God? Verse four, he is Lord Almighty. He is still Lord over all of it. And so that's where the conversation starts. It's where the conversation always starts. And then on that foundation, the conversation continues. Verse five, God says to his people in Babylon, build houses and settle down there. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. In other words, God is saying, even at Babylon, keep on keeping on. Keep moving forward. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Life is not over. In fact, that was the temptation here because there were actually in that setting lots of false prophets who were saying, don't settle down, don't get comfy because uh, they were saying, oh, the return, it'll come quickly. You're not gonna be in Babylon long. Don't worry about it. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna come quick. And they said Babylon won't be that long. But nope, that is not what God had. It was 70 years. And 70 years, as we recognize, 1948, a long time ago, 70 years is a long time. And so relatively speaking, whatever it means for you to be in a season of a long time, A long time, by definition, is a long time. But regardless of how long it is, it's never quitting time. It's never a time to quit. And so what do we do? We keep pressing forward. We invest in the future. God says invest in the future and invest in the next generations that will come after you. And so for us, in your struggle, in your Babylon, What do you need to do to put one foot in front of the other? What do you need to do to keep on keeping on? How can you invest uh, in the future both to make it through Babylon and to set yourself up to be ready for the other side of when Babylon is over? You know, practically speaking, sometimes um, the reality is, and if you've you've been here, you know what this means, um, that the most practical thing you can do in the midst of the worst of the worst in the midst of Babylon is frankly, just wake up and get up and face another day of Babylon. Sometimes the best you can do, and you've been there if you've been there, is wake up, get up, and give thanks to God that you have made it another day in Babylon. Which is progress, because maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt like you've made zero progress, like you're getting nowhere. But remember, every day that you wake up and you get up, you are you could say you have made progress because you are one day closer to whenever that day will come. Whenever that day is over, you're one step closer, one day closer to having all those days of Babylon put behind you. And so you've made progress. Uh, um, So one of my practices, and some of you know this, I've 
talked about this here before, that I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Um, Jesus came up with it, pretty solid. I think I'm doing good with that one. Um, but there's another prayer that I pray uh, in a company with that, and that is a prayer that I've gotten from what's called the Book of Common Prayer. And it's one that I came across in, you could say, a Babylon season of my own, which is a, a prayer that continues to serve me every day, but I find it particularly helpful in the midst of Babylon. Um, it, it goes this way, and if, and if you find it helpful, you can you know, take a picture with your phone and, and use it as well. Uh, but the prayer is simply this. Lord God Almighty and everlasting Father. And that's how it starts. And again, we start with God is God, God is on the throne. Lord God Almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought me in safety to this new day. You've made it another day in Babylon. You've brought me in safety to this new day. And so God, preserve me with your mighty power. Keep me going. Preserve me with your mighty power that we might not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. Essentially, in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of the worst of the worst, let that not overtake me, God. And then, moving forward, instead, in all I do, direct me to the fulfilling of your purpose through Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so I invite you to incorporate that prayer into your life, if you would find that helpful, as I have. Um, but how do we do that? You know, how do we live out that prayer? It's one thing to kind of preserve, be preserved through Babylon, but how do we move past just our own stuff and actually get to the point where I'm going to move forward and fulfill the purpose of Jesus Christ, my Lord, in the midst of Babylon? Well, verse 7 gives us some help there. Picking it back up, Jeremiah 29, 11, verse 7. God says, also, when there in Babylon, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Well, this is interesting instruction, that even in the midst of Babylon beating you down, you're saying, God, you want me to bless Babylon? You want me to pray for Babylon? You want me to seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon? Essentially, what God is saying there is the best way to beat Babylon is to find a way to bless Babylon. That even in the worst of the worst, when you're in your Babylon, that the best thing you can do in the worst situation is to find the blessing in the midst of it. Now, the reality is that that could play out a million different ways depending on your particular setting. Maybe your Babylon is a specific, you could say, um, something coming against you, an enemy, if you will. Well, Jesus would later say it this way. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe it's no one else. Maybe it's just your own stuff. And some of the best advice I ever gotten when, when we get wrapped up in our own stuff, being our own stuff, uh, is to whatever you're doing, that to take the focus off of whatever your stuff is and simply serve somebody else. It sounds very simple, but it is a very powerful reality to when you just can't get out of your own world and all that's consuming it for whatever that Babylon situation is, just step outside of it, find some way somehow just to serve someone else. It's a very powerful experience I've discovered. In fact, Jesus said it this way, it is better to give or it's better to serve than to receive. And we can experience that in the midst of our Babylon Verse eight, it says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And so 
what we hear have, as we mentioned earlier, false prophets who are saying, hey, it's not going to be that long. It's not going to be that big of a deal. We'll be back home in no time. Uh, but that was not the truth. Um, in fact, and you wonder, well, okay, so why would people listen to these false prophets? Why would, why would they listen to these, these lies? Well, because frankly, isn't it true of us? that when we're in a difficult situation, when we're struggling, are we too not also tempted to gravitate to what it is that we want to hear, even if it's not what we need to hear? Aren't we too drawn to some advice or some counsel or a shortcut or an enabler if it's what we want to hear in the middle of something, even if it's not truth, even if it's not what we actually need to hear? And so that's why these false prophets were getting traction. Of course, no one wants to last 70 years. They want this to go by quickly. And so the people, it says in, in uh, verse eight, it says, do not listen to the dreams that you are encouraging them to have. Basically, people were getting the false prophets to say what they wanted to hear. But that was not the truth. As we see, even though they were gobbling it up, verse 10, Jeremiah corrects it and says, well, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years, long time. And, that's, and, and don't we also want that message that when we get advice or counsel in the midst of our Babylon, don't we wanna know what's the quickest way to make this over? I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from someone and I've learned to say, man, I cannot wait to get to the other side of this situation to be able to say, man, look what God did. I mean. Never want to do it again, but look what God did even in the midst of it. And I always follow that up by saying, I wish I could tell you that that's going to be in a few weeks, a few months, a few, but honestly, I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to be because the truth is, and this could be a whole sermon of itself, it's in the 70 years, the proverbial 70 years. It's in the length of time. It's in the patience and the perseverance that goes with that patience that frankly for us in this whole experience whatever that experience is it's what matters most it's what matters most because it's in the midst of the patient perseverance we experience what frankly we're on the planet to experience and to discover and to grow in and that is we grow through those situations more than any other we grow in faith and trust and worship of God in the midst of those difficult situations. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way. Uh, in his opening words in his letter, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Terrible opener. Terrible opener. But he knows what we, are, what we know as well are learning because you know that in these trials is the testing of your faith. And really, that should be understood as the developing of your faith, which produces perseverance. And so let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so, yes, ironically, consider it pure joy. Find the joy of knowing in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this Babylon, the thing that matters most on the planet, that you are growing in your trust, your faith, and your worship of who God is, that that is what's going to matter more than Babylon, coming out of Babylon, or any situation we face, that we are on the planet to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and that we know, if you've lived it, it happens most assuredly in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of trial. And so... Take heart. 
It's in the midst of Babylon. It's the midst of the trial. It's in the midst of the worst of the worst that verse 11 is understood at its best as we come to it finally in our text. For I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they are plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so that's the good news. That's the real news. This isn't a weak, pithy Hallmark card. I mean, this is the word of the Lord for his people in the midst of awful, the midst of Babylon, the midst of the worst of the worst. That is precisely when we need to hear the word and to take heart because our God is saying, even in Babylon, I've got plans for your future. I've got plans for hope, plans for a future. And so we could say, awesome message for the people of God in that time. And in fairness, preacher Brian, you just said context, in fairness to context, you know, that's for that people and that time and that place. And so I got Jeremiah 29, 11 hanging up in my house. You know, can I still leave it hanging up in the house? Can I put my faith in that verse that was specifically for those people in that time? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. And here's why. Because even though this is a word from the Lord for a specific people in a specific time and place, it is also a word from the Lord that reflects the very nature and unchanging character of who God always is, regardless of circumstance, regardless of time, regardless of situation. The truth of Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has plans in the future, it's all throughout scripture. It's in all kinds of contexts because it's who our God is that transcends every time and every place. And so absolutely, frame it, bumper sticker it, drink coffee out of it, surround yourself with it because it is the truth of who our God is to his people. And so what do we do with that? How do we respond to Jeremiah 29, 11? It wraps up verse 12 through 14. It says, knowing this, then you will call on me. You will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When our faith is in that, we find God. And then there's a result, verse 14. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And so that's the good news. The good news of those plans is that this is the future God has for us, that when we acknowledge and put our faith in the reality of what he has for us, we then can confidently call on him, seek him, know that he will listen to us when we seek him with all our heart. So that's how we're going to seal our time together. And so I invite you to stand with me as we do just that, what verse 12 and verse 13 say. Uh, As part of our practice, we pray uh, at the end of our services. And so both here and in the East Auditorium, as well as in Lovington, that uh, as we think about the Babylon that we are, you know, for every single one of us, we're in one of these three categories where either maybe we're coming out of a Babylon, maybe you're in the midst of a Babylon, or you're getting ready to go into one. You know, Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so in the same way, who our God is can overcome and is overcoming, has a plan for the future, even in the midst of whatever has come, is coming, or is going on right now. 
And so in the front of this room, in the front of Lovington, I know, and in the front of the East Auditorium, there's gonna be some folks here who'd be honored to pray with you about your Babylon, or maybe there's a loved one who you wanna pray for their Babylon. Uh, Or maybe you would just say, I've never received and accepted Jesus Christ as the one who has a plan for my future at all. And I need to give him all the Babylons I've ever had and will ever have by just surrendering my life to him. And so for any of those things, as we worship together, again, while we're on the planet, give credit where credit is due, we would be honored uh, to pray with you in the front of any of these spaces uh, as, as we sing and worship together. And so won't you come as we sing?